What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Like our minds are blown. I know I said I wasn't going to talk a lot, but like we just had the best interview of our entire lives. And of course we love everybody that comes on the podcast, but we had um, Dr. Natasha Larmy on. She is a weight inclusive, health at every size aligned general practitioner who is campaigning to end weight stigma in the medical profession. Uh, she's, a gener- she's a general practitioner in a small commuter town of about 40 minutes outside of London. Um, and she boasts that she has the 20 years of medical experience. She has been fat for most of her life, but it took her her 40th birthday, a pandemic and a period of depression to finally accept her body and ditch diet culture for good. Natasha is active on social media, hosts her own podcast, runs training events, and frequently appears in the press when she continues <laughs> where she continues to make as many enemies as she does friends, um, which is exactly as it should be. I can't stop laughing because I just I love her and I'm obsessed with her. I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying this pre like prematurely because we are recording earlier, but welcome to season two, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we're kicking it off. Um, I just, this episode was incredible. I learned so much. We all connected on such a human level, which I think is the most important takeaway from this conversation. And it's a conversation that every human out there needs to listen to. And as we promised, we're not going to say anything else. Um, And uh, just enjoy it. (laughs) Enjoy. So we have Dr. Natasha Larmy here. Thank you so much for being here with us, Natasha. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be recording right now. I'm super, super excited. We, we've both been really excited for this interview because we want to jump in and talk all things weight stigma with you. And we couldn't think of anyone better than you. And we have your entire Instagram account pulled up. We have questions locked and loaded for you. Um, but before we do that, we, we love to just start with, you know, tell us whether it's 30 seconds, 30 minutes, how did you get to where you are today? whether that's personally, professionally, you take as much time as you want. Did you always know that you were going to be doing what you're doing right now? Um, I already see you laughing. So I think the answer is no, but I would love, love to just, if you could share your story with us, we would love to listen. So I 
Thank you. First of all, thank you. Really, honestly, I, I love being able to talk about weight stigma. I'm so passionate about it. So any opportunity is wonderful. And I feel so privileged to be able to do it. And thank you for having me. Um, my story begins when I was a kid. I'm not going to make it that long, <laughs> but it, it starts when I was a kid. I wasn't a particularly chubby kid, but I was uh, my family have all uh, quite large. We, we, we all struggled with our weight. I hate using that term, but that's that's how they would describe it. And so right from a very young age, I have body issues. Um, I was called fat by my family um, and not in a nice way. Um, now I call myself fat and I mean that in a perfectly neutral, you know, pleasant way. But I knew at the time that that's not what they meant. And I grew up with lots of body issues. I was on a diet by the time I was old enough to remember, really. I mean, I can always remember restricting um and by the time I became an adult I wasn't I look back and I look at photos of myself and I think oh gosh you weren't that big but you know in my mind I was living in a very large body um and then I became a doctor and I did lots of late nights and you know worked really hard I had babies and my body changed as it does and I became faster and faster and fatter uh, and I went up and I went down and I, I've dieted, you know, repeatedly over and over again, at least a few times a year, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be sensible and go watch what I eat. I'm going to do some extra exercise and stuff like that. So that was my story. And, you know, my weight went up and down and up and down as it does. I think this is just normal for the majority of the population. And then when I turned 40, which was the, just like just over a year ago, uh, we were in the middle of a COVID pandemic. I was seeing covid positive patients we just opened up our covid clinic and we were doing this risk assessment because at the time there was lots of studies that were coming out that suggest that people who were in larger bodies were more likely to die of covid now i would just like to point out now that's not true and that evidence is is, is completely sort of false it's based on 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 studies that were done in such a rush that you know we didn't know what we were talking about but at the time we panicked and we just we used what we had so um i was asked to give a weight and i hadn't weighed myself for a really long time so i was just like look of all the times to weigh yourself now is one of those so i did i weighed myself and i realized that according to the body mass index which i do not subscribe to but according to the body mass index i had a bmi of over 40 i tipped into the 40 bracket and I uh, was 40 kilograms overweight, according to the body mass index. So it was like 40, 40, 40. You know, for me, it was like a sign from the heavens. I had to do something quickly. And um, I panicked. I did what every sensible person does when they panic. They go on a diet. And I did. I went on a diet. Um, at the time, I was talking to a doctor who was predominantly looking after my mental health, that she was obsessed with like paleo, keto kind of like you know vegetables and meat nothing else kind of diet and she used to extol the virtues of this diet every time we spoke to each other so that's what I did I did that kind of part paleo part keto um diet and I um did lots of exercise and I lost lots of weight as one would expect at the very beginning and that was kind of June this is about this time last year and then my weight dropped and everyone told me how great I looked and I was feeling really really good about myself but as is always the case it gets harder and harder and harder and your mental and emotional well-being you know dips further and further down now I have a history of chronic depression recurrent depression um I didn't have the best childhood I I, I grew up um now I look back I realize I grew up the daughter of a narcissistic abuser um, my father was a very cruel man and so I tend towards periods of anxiety and depression and um September last year you know I was in a really dark place I was feeling really low and I just I was struggling to get out of bed and 
you know, I've been through this so many times now. I was angry at myself. How could I be feeling this way again? Like, get over yourself, you know, get, get on with life. And um, I knew that it had something to do with my diet, you know, because I was starving. I was literally, I was physically starving. I was having 1200 calories a day and I wanted food nonstop. And then I hated myself because I wanted food and I was trying to eat food. And then I was, I was breaking the diet, you know, and it just, it just got, went from bad to worse. I didn't want to exercise anymore, even though exercise is actually helps me to get out the house like it became a punishment for me and that made me miserable so come September I was just very very depressed and I got to the point where I was actually starting to have suicidal thoughts which again has happened to me many times but I just thought that's it I'm done I quit I can't do this anymore and what was unique about last year was that I turned 40 and I decided that I was going to join the modern age I was going to join social media (laughs) I hadn't been on social media, I'd, I'd avoided it up until that point in time. So as I started expressing these emotions on social media, and I actually had started blogging as well, and I, I started a weight loss blog, that was what I was doing, I was writing a weight loss blog um, in real time, you know, and then people started coming up to me, people, you know, people who have these amazing accounts like yours, kind of were just like, hey, you know, it's normal to feel this way, and did you know that there was a different way, a better way, did you know, you know, have you heard that you can ditch diet culture and do you know what diet culture is have you heard of health at every size and of course I hadn't I had no idea what these people were talking about so that was September 2020 and I think within three months I had just I'd like did a deep, deep dive into the research I read a lot of papers and books and 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 you know and was you know just soaking up all of this information and you can track it on my website you can read my blogs because you can literally see in real time how I went from like weight loss blog to health at every size and how my mind just my brain just switched and once your eyes are open and your brain switches it's like that's it you can't go back because suddenly you realize just how toxic diet culture is and you know how powerful weight stigma is and then it it started hitting me as a professional I was hearing all of these stories and I was like hang on they're talking about doctors I'm a doctor I can't believe this is happening and that's that's where the passion came from so over the last I'd say six months you know my passion has been it's, it's it's awoken something in me that was long dormant and long dead I was fed up with life and work and just was like what's the point you know I'm just gonna carry on with the status quo until I can retire as early as possible and now I have this new like passion for you know being a good doctor and I just I don't think that we are good doctors I think that we are extremely prejudiced and I think that we are failing so many of our patients and we have to do better and I'm not criticizing all of my colleagues you know I get it I know why they are the way that they are but it has to change and somebody within the profession has to say enough is enough so I'm one of the few at the moment that's doing that for now and there's going to be loads more I'm sure of it but you know it's really something that means it means so much to me I, I don't think that I can quite explain it in words but there you go I was going to do that in 30 seconds and look what happened I told you I talked too much no I sorry I didn't use my hand raising here but I have to jump in because I wasn't expecting this to be such a recent transition and I'm just so grateful that you shared all of that information I mean Sam and I both joke like we were diet culture Jenna and Sammy and now we're completely different and so we're all completely like we all relate in this this way so much, but I know we had so many questions that we wanted to ask you today, but I think it's just like so blatantly obvious that we have to dive into your most recent post about Mm -hmm. 
obesity and the medical profession, and sorry, obesity in quotes, yeah. um, and the medical profession and weight loss as big business, because you are exactly who I want to hear this from. <laughs> right. So it's not a real condition it's completely made up okay and this is what we have to understand and and actually now as I'm learning more about it I realize how it happened it's it's so it's so obvious that you know 50 years ago maybe 60 years ago somebody a whole bunch of people wanted to make money out of weight loss and to begin with they appealed to our sense of vanity you know it was about looks and aesthetics and and then they realized that actually I don't think you can sell the kind of weight loss that we're trying to sell forever based on aesthetics I think people will go tired of that we need to do something else we need to convince the medical world to sell our drugs to sell our you know to sell surgery to sell this to sell that I mean the drugs it's just incredible how much the drugs are worth you know so so what do you do how do you how do you sell something for a condition that doesn't exist you have to make it into a condition and that is what happened they made up a condition you know cardiovascular disease is a condition that is caused by plaque buildup like atherosclerosis it's called of the arteries um predominantly supporting the heart the brain and various other organs we know what it is we can cut up a human body and see the the, the plaque inside them when we do an autopsy we know all about this that's a disease we know what it is we know what causes it we know how to treat it or we we try to treat it fatness is not a disease it is a description of a human being you can be thin and then you can be fat and it's just a description but we medicalized it we made up a word that literally means it just comes from the latin word fat to be fat to eat so much that you become fat actually is the direct translation it's a made up word and then what we did was we did all these studies that linked fatness to diseases and the studies were not robust they never adjusted for anything important they never tried to find the reason why fatness was associated with diabetes or heart disease or knee pain or whatever they didn't look for the cause they just went here look see we've got a link the two are related so it's bad for you and those studies were poor, the, the, the evidence is atrocious, the, you know, it, it's not good evidence. And yet we bought into it because there was money behind it. People were advertising this. They were, they were lining the pockets of the doctors who were doing the trials. They were, they were placing a lot of money into, into public relations campaigns, PR, you know, these charities that exist now that, that control so much of the narrative, these charities are funded by pharmaceutical companies, by Weight Watchers, by, you know, weight loss products. They are funded by the very people that are trying to sell us weight loss. So what you have now is we have this made up condition. We have a whole bunch of doctors that got together, did a whole bunch of trials that linked, simply linked one with the other. And slowly over time, with enough propaganda, we went from two things being associated with each other to one causing the other. It's not scientifically true, but it doesn't matter. I mean, just look at, you know, the, the previous president of the United States. He proved to us that you can say anything you like, absolutely anything you like. And with the right PR, it could become true. You, you know, he, he coined fake news because he was full of fake news. And that's what obesity is. It is fake news all the way. And that's what I put in my post. I have looked at the research and I cannot find any decent research that shows that being fat causes any illness it just doesn't 
But the fact that every single human being on the planet, including every single one of my colleagues believes it is a testimony to what money and power and greed and, and propaganda can do. Um, I talk about the fact that actually I'm, I'm a, the, the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivors. That, that's where I come from. My parent, my grandfather, literally escaped um, Nazi Germany. Uh, my great grandparents left in 1939. Um, I know all about propaganda. <laughs> and when I look at the propaganda that was used throughout the 1930s by the Nazis to convince people how bad Jews were to the point that all of Germany accepted the fact that Jews were taken away into ghettos, put into trains and thrown into concentration camps. I lost pretty much all of my relatives in in, in, in Auschwitz. So I understand the power of propaganda. And I think it's really important, you know, I'm not trying to compare the Holocaust with anything else, because I, I know that, you, you know, that's not, that's not correct. We don't do that. But, but what I'm saying is the power of propaganda has existed for, you know, for as long as we've existed. And it is propaganda. It, it is fake news, it is lies, it is money, and it is greed that has caused the world to believe that it is the condition that is not a condition, it's not even a real disease, is a disease. And, you know, all the trolls that come after me are always saying, oh, good luck with your diabetes, good luck with your heart disease, as if looking at me and my body, they can predict that I'm going to get diabetes. Well, load of crap. I'm a doctor. I can tell you there's no way you can predict that I'm going to get diabetes. And just by, you know, the fact that everybody assumes that and just like is convinced that they are right and that I am wrong just goes to show how powerful that propaganda has been. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit passionate about that. <laughs> I love you. I'm, I'm in love with you. I think. Like your passion, your fire like my hair has been standing up I'm like about to cry I'm like why isn't every doctor like Natasha like and it's this the fact I want to go back to what Jenna said the fact that this awakening is so recent is I had no idea and this makes this interview so freaking powerful um holy shit so there's so many players on here by the way yes you can swear as much as you want okay so um Okay. So this is amazing. I'm so freaking happy you're here. And I think it's also, it's just, thank you for sharing and being so vulnerable because I know for any health professional that has contributed to diet culture, which is literally everyone, because that's how we're taught, right? It can be hard to talk about this. So it's, you're going to be helping so many health professionals by just listening. So let's bring this back to, I love that you're calling out this, how they just make up this disease, right? There's correlation. It's not causation. So let's talk about weight stigma, right? So let's pretend that our listeners have never heard this term before. Let's break it down. What is weight stigma and how does it contribute to medical diseases and conditions? So I get asked this question all the time and you know, I really ought to know the answer properly. (laughs) I should be able to just like it should roll off the tongue. It doesn't. Um, okay. It's difficult to explain. So there's bias, Agreed. right? Everybody <laughs> yes. knows. It's difficult to explain. Bias is or prejudice or discrimination. We know what all of those things are. Bias is when you, um, you know, or anti-fat bias. Let's let's call it anti-fat bias. Is when you believe that thin is good and fat is bad. That thin is healthy and fat is unhealthy. That thin is, you know, is makes you a good person. 
and fat makes you lazy and uh, greedy and, you know, any other negative connotations that society has placed on fatness. And when you when you do a deep dive into the research and actually look at why these connotations exist, why people have placed this kind of moral judgment on fatness, it, 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 it's, it's rooted in racism. It's rooted in kind of like uh, Christian morality, you know, this like that kind of like, you know, they're, they're, they're sinners, you know, fat people are sinners because they're greedy, they're lustful that you know they're they're not the right kind of people to be around it, 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 it it's it's very it's not medical let's put it that way it has nothing to do with medicine or health it has to do with morality um but that morality invaded the health profession as well so what's happened is now weight stigma is when that bias is basically manifested in you know in in our everyday lives and you can experience weight stigma in all sorts of places so in the classroom your teachers are much likely more likely to prefer thin attractive students to fat not so attractive students like there's studies to prove that even parents even parents preferred their more attractive children studies show that too uh you'll see it in um you'll see it in so you know university you'll see it in the workplace if you are in a larger body you are less likely to be hired for a job less likely to be promoted less likely to receive um bonuses you're more likely to receive less pay i mean all of those things just in the workplace in the criminal justice system you are far more likely to receive a harsher sentence if you're in a larger body um you're less likely to get elected to a political office you're less likely to um get likes on social media you, you know just you name it wherever you are wait bias is manifesting itself and that is stigma that is the you know the society's devaluation of people in larger bodies now medical weight stigma is when you experience that in the doctor's office and it is toxic stuff it is dangerous and this is why i'm here this is why i'm talking to people because it causes health problems people assume that the health problem is caused by fat it's not it's caused by weight stigma and this is how it works i'm going to give you like a real life example let's just say you you go in to see your doctor and you sit down and you can already see that they're judging you like just looking in their eyes they've got that look you know that look you've seen that look you've experienced that look many a time before maybe you're oversensitive maybe you're not it doesn't matter they don't have the smile on their face you know you you can read social cues if you've been around long enough so already you've got that look they're bored maybe they're not even looking at you they're looking at their computer and then you, you tell them you know I you know I've been getting some pain in my knee like it's really been hurting and um they look at you they give you a cursory look and they go well you know have you tried losing weight they didn't take a history. They didn't examine you. They told you to lose weight. They, they ignored your symptoms. They didn't bother running any tests or investigations. They just said, lose some weight. And then they say, hey, hop on the scale. And you think, what's the scale? What's to do with anything? I'm telling you about my knee. Don't you want to feel my knee? No, I don't want to feel your knee. I want you to, to get on the scale. So then you get on the scale and then they type it into the computer and they're like, you know, you really need to lose some weight. Let's check your blood pressure. And you think, hang on, I came here about my knee. What's my blood pressure got to do with anything? They check your blood pressure. Oh, your blood pressure is a little bit high. It's a little bit high. Well, no shit. Of course it's high. I have just experienced weight stigma for the last five minutes. So you take my blood pressure, you've used the wrong size cuff because you don't have a cuff big enough for my arm. And you've told me that my blood pressure is high and it's continuing to rise because you're continuing to upset me. And then you kind of, then they spend the next five, 10 minutes telling you how to lose weight. Hey, have you thought about doing the paleo diet? You know, have you thought about doing this, that and the other? You know, I, yeah, my grandmother, or no, my, my cousin, you know, went on 800 calories a day and lost like three stone. Have you thought about doing that? Because don't forget, doctors have absolutely no training when it comes to nutrition like you guys are the experts we don't have a 
fucking clue. God, my French. You really. Oh, did. I love you so much. <laughs> we don't. What we we learned it. We learned. We learned it from magazines. We've learned it from the internet. We don't know. From what dieting. We're You've learned from, from dieting. dieting. You've learned it from dieting. So that's the experience that you had in the doctor's office. You were stigmatized in so many different ways. From the moment you walked in, you were judged. You were shamed. You were ignored. That doctor didn't do their due diligence. They didn't examine you. They didn't take a history. For all you, they know, you fractured something in your leg. You've torn your ACL. Maybe you've got some kind of meniscal injury. They don't know. Um, they just assumed it was your weight. They've also checked your blood pressure and told you that your blood pressure is high. Now, it might be high because it's high. It might be high because you're stressed. It might be high because they used the wrong cuff. All I know is that when you walk out of that room, you've lost all trust and faith in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. You're not able to communicate with your doctor. You're not going to be able to tell them how you feel, what you're worried about. You could also have been, you know, having some abnormal vaginal bleeding, but you didn't want to talk to your doctor about that because you kind of left that. You wanted to talk about your knee first and then you're like, you know what, I'm not even going to bother because they're just going to shame me. And maybe that abnormal vaginal bleeding is a sign that you have cervical cancer, but, you know, you, you just didn't want to bring it up. So you can't communicate. Whatever your doctor tells you to do, you're far less likely to comply with their advice because they've not listened to you. They've not heard you. They've shamed and judged you. So you're not going to take their advice. So let's just say they look at your blood pressure and they go, oh, you know, we need to keep an eye on that. We, you know, go away and check it for a few days or go away and do this and go away and do that you're not going to do it you're just not because you've you know you just you've lost all trust and you're afraid of the doctor and most importantly you're not going to want to come back in fact you are going to do everything you can to avoid your doctor and I say that not because I've read it in books and that I've studied it I'm saying that because I know in real life my patients tell me this all the time I have been avoiding the doctor because I was afraid they were going to tell me off because of my weight I didn't come and see about my breast lump because I thought you were going to tell me off for having you know for being fat I'm like, it's a breast lump. I'm not even going to think about that. But they are avoiding me for that reason. And also, I am avoiding my doctor and have been avoiding my doctor for the last two years. I need to have um, uh, a, a, some investigations done. I'm just putting it off because I don't want to know the answers. I can't cope with it. One of them is a diabetes test. And um, I don't I know I don't have it. Like, I'm quite confident that I don't have it, but I'm terrified of having it. I'm terrified of diabetes because I've been told that being fat is what causes diabetes. And I know that's not true, but the shame of the doctor's appointment is so strong that even though I know it's not true and I know how to advocate for myself, I'm still avoiding it. I'm still avoiding going for my pap smear for the same reason. And I, I know it's wrong, but it's it's something that I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with and, and come to grips with myself. So this is weight stigma. Now, if you think about it, whose fault is it now? If that patient, that, that woman who came in with knee pain and maybe had a bit of vaginal bleeding that they didn't talk about with their doctor, if that person ends up having cervical cancer or some kind of problem, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that they're, that they're sick now? Is it, is it the patient's fault or is it the doctor's fault because they weren't doing their job? And our job is to do what is in the best interest of your patient, to do no harm, to treat your patient fairly and 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 you know and without any discrimination and and to respect their autonomy 
And if you are not taking a good history, not examining them, making them feel uncomfortable, shaming them for being fat, weighing them when you don't need to weigh them, you know, refusing to do the right investigations, blaming their symptoms on their weight, you are failing your patient. You are, you are in breach of your duty of care. And that patient that got sick is your fault. It's your responsibility. As a doctor, you have to take responsibility for your actions and you have to, you have to, you know, you have to change it. You know, I mean, you can't, fix that person but you have to change the way that you're practicing medicine um weight stigma in the medical pr profession is is so toxic and dangerous and we never talk about it we never talk about it internalized weight stigma makes people sick we have studies to prove that but we never talk about it doctors are discriminating against their patients all the time but we never do anything about it it says in our code of conduct in the uk we have like a you know like a 60 page whatever like document this is what you should do it says very explicitly in there you shall cannot discriminate against your patients you cannot um delay care because of your own personal beliefs about that patient it's written in black and white but we are refusing to acknowledge the fact that the majority of doctors are in breach of their duty of care no one wants to talk about it because nobody really cares about fat people you know if it was a different issue if it was I don't know, possibly if it was race or if it was um, possibly if it was now, you know, um, sexual orientation, I think possibly doctors would get in more trouble because we have accepted that racism is wrong and we have accepted that homophobia is wrong. I mean, we haven't got there yet. No, no way. But at least we've accepted that it's wrong and we shouldn't be doing that. But when it comes to um fat phobia or anti-fat bias or weight stigma it's almost like we still have the green light go ahead guys like in fact most of my colleagues are getting financial incentives to be fat phobic you know like let's let's you know send this person to weight watchers like you know we, we get paid for that not quite but almost you know refer them to a bariatric surgeon or, or prescribe this new amazing drug that is i can't even begin to i'm not even going to say its name because it disgusts me so much but you know that that's that's what's happening in the world today oh I feel like we need to like take a deep breath <laughs> <laughs> sorry I told no, you I can't talk to no <laughs> it was it was so amazing and it's so important and I know Jenna and I both have our hands up right now because we're fighting over the yeah, microphone right I now <laughs> I know but it's you know my my next thought goes to okay I wish that every doctor, every medical professional could be like you, Natasha, and recognize the harm that they were doing mm. and do a deep dive into all the research and completely <laughs> do a 180 and go from weight loss yeah. to health at every size. But we know that's just not going to happen. So for medical professionals or people, let's say our listeners send this to a medical professional, they hear this podcast, right? It scares, it shakes them to their core, mm -hmm. They, but they... They relate to it. They know mm -hmm. it's right, but they have no idea where the fuck to start. Yeah. How, what do you suggest? How can they start to walk in the direction that you're doing to put an end to weight stigma? So if you're a medical professional that's listening to this podcast, probably you've turned it off by now or you're saying that I'm talking a load of shit, right? Like you are just like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Obesity is the largest, second largest killer in the world today. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stop you there. Uh, really? Says who? Where are you getting these statistics from? Let's take a moment just to even th talk about that. How can you possibly know if somebody died from obesity? 
Like I said, I don't believe it's a real condition, but like, even if you do believe it's a real condition, how do you know that they died of it? That's not the cause of death. You cannot put obesity as a cause of death on a death certificate, right? And, and this is really important because this is breaking my freaking heart. I have heard over the last few years, uh, last year, that people who are dying of COVID on their death certificate in the UK, you put, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but in the, on the UK, you put the cause of death at the top and then you are allowed to list all the conditions that led to the cause of death. So as an example, somebody could die of pneumonia, but they have a history of um, lung cancer or COPD. So you might put pneumonia as the cause of death, but then you would put lung cancer or COPD because obviously they were much more prone to pneumonia because of that condition. Um, they might have chronic kidney disease. You might include that. The fact that people are including obesity now and actually placing it on the death certificate, not only is that horrendous for relatives, because they are basically being told your mum or your dad or your sister or your brother died of COVID because they were fat, which is not true. And there's no evidence to show this. But also, how could you possibly know that? Like, are you psychic? Like, do you have some kind of crystal ball? Because just because a person is fat, and they died of a disease and we know that there is an association between the two you cannot say that one causes the other I mean, you've already said it correlation or association does not equal causation we learned that in medical school first week that cannot you, you've got to learn how to read your studies properly so when people say you're talking a load of crap um i think they need to just take a breath accept the fact there's going to be a lot of cognitive dissonance here that they are going to struggle to hear what I have to say because it goes against everything they've been taught since they were yay high everything that they ever learned in medical school you know they're going to think that I'm some kind of crazy woman and that's fine it's fine even if most people are switching off by now maybe some a few will listen and go oh hang on a minute maybe I do need to look at the evidence and then I, I would suggest that you look at the evidence for health at every size health at every size um, is not a fancy way of saying you can eat what you like and do what you like and be healthy that's you know you can be healthy at every size you can also be unhealthy at every size you can be unhealthy when you're thin you can be unhealthy when you're in a very large body and and vice versa what health at every size is actually saying is it's got nothing to do with size it's, it's got to do with health but if you want to improve your health there are some things that you can do that do not involve weight loss so this is kind of revolutionary but if you look at there are some fantastic articles written by Lindo Bacon, Lucy Aframal, some of the other kind of founding um, the, the, the matriarchs and patriarchs. I'm trying to think of a gender neutral word for that. But, you know, the founders of the Health at Every Size movement, um, you know, Lindo Bacon has some books. There are some fantastic articles if you don't have time to read a book. There's one article that you will read if you're a doctor or a health professional, you'll read that. It will blow your mind. You'll never be able to think about it the same way again. Like crazy stuff. I'm quite happy to link that article. You guys, I'm sure, have read it. But um, if you're a health professional, you probably won't. Read that. Look at the evidence. The evidence is very, very clear. There is no... <laughs> there's very little evidence that shows that being fat, well, there's no evidence that shows that being fat causes any illness. It doesn't exist. There's almost no evidence that losing weight benefits your health at all in the long term, beyond a year. Every study you'll ever read will cut off at six months or a year. It's not going to five years, it won't, because they know that they're not gonna get the right data. And the study, the few handful of studies that do are flawed. 
all those epidemiological studies that you read that link fatness with, I don't know, pick a disease. The, today's one is CKD. I don't know if you know that chronic kidney disease that's been in the news today, but you know, it'll be a different disease every day. Every epidemiological study does not account for some really important things. It doesn't account for socioeconomic factors that are important, um, environmental factors. It doesn't account for trauma. It doesn't account for um, um, weight cycling. It doesn't account for weight stigma. It doesn't account for chronic stress. All of the really important stuff that we know is playing a massive role in um, the manifestation of disease. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't like you know what does it they they usually um look at kind of pre-existing conditions and smoking and maybe they look at your socioeconomic status and that's it that's what they adjust for this is shoddy science and you shouldn't be following you shouldn't be listening to these kind of papers reading these kind of papers and thinking oh yeah they're right you should be looking at them critically appraising them and thinking what a load of shit i'm not even going to bother reading this study also check out who funded it because i guarantee you the majority of those studies have some kind of funding from novo nordisk weight watchers or johnson and johnson or you name it drug company it's out there they are being funded you know the people who are charging people a fortune for all sorts of drugs not just weight loss drugs but all kinds of drugs um, that, that are linked to fatness are, are the people that are, study, uh, um, that are funding these studies. So that's the first thing I'll, I'll say to you is figure out, like learn for yourself. Don't be a robot. Don't be like, like a sheep, like, you know, critically appraise these papers, go and read something and find out for yourself whether I'm lying or not. You know, I'm sitting here staking my medical career on this. Like, you know, I could get struck off potentially, right? If I'm lying, potentially I could get struck off the medical register. I'm standing up here day after day saying this with absolute confidence. So if you don't believe me, read the paper for yourself and decide whether or not I'm right or I'm wrong. But if you then decide, you know what, she has a point. <laughs> and even if, even if I'm still not convinced, I do know that my code of conduct, you know, that, that I have been discriminating against my patients um you know what what can i do to 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 improve this is i just want to remind you that that weight is not a behavior so when you're supposed to be giving advice about lifestyle and behavior you don't have to include weight because it's not a behavior weight's also a really crap way of measuring behavior i um went on a diet and to begin with i lost a lot of weight and I changed my behavior, right? Like I was exercising more and everybody knows that exercise is good for you. So I was exercising more, but nobody asked me like, how much have you been exercising? Like, have you been, you know, have you, what have you been doing? Because I could tell them actually, you know, I've been getting out into the fresh air. I've been doing, you know, some walking, but I've also been doing some Pilates and you know what? My back's not hurting as much anymore. And I'm much more limber and I can tie my shoelaces a lot easier, like stuff like that. I could, you know, if you measured any of those things, if I said to you, I want to be able to bend over and tie my shoes at two laces without any problems and then I achieved that by doing some yoga or some pilates you could shoot that would be a great measure of my success but instead you're using my weight the problem is that my weight starts to go down really rapidly and everyone was congratulating me and then it plateaued as it always does because your body doesn't know the difference between intentional weight loss intentional food restriction and food scarcity it doesn't know it thinks you're starving and your body's like okay I've got to do something to hold on to this weight so eventually your weight loss plateaus and then if you're still using that as a measure of success, then you're starting to fail. You lose all faith in yourself. And, you know, you just think, fuck it. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. That's not helpful if you're a newly diagnosed diabetic. <laughs> Actually, if you're a newly diagnosed diabetic, what you need is some really good quality nutritional advice that has nothing to do with your weight. Because 
the purpose of changing your lifestyle is to bring your blood sugar down. And as a doctor, you probably don't know enough about nutrition to know how to advise a patient to manage their blood sugars without losing weight. You probably don't know that such a thing exists, but you know what? It does. Ask <laughs> any decent dietitian or nutritionist out there that has studied this. They'll tell you there's plenty of ways you can do this. So if you don't know, refer to somebody that does know. And if somebody that does know doesn't exist, don't worry. I've got some solutions for you. There are some fantastic health at every size um, fact sheets out there. Thanks to some amazing um, women in the health at every size movement who have like literally put some fact sheets together for various health conditions diabetes is one of them non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is one of them um i'm trying to think some of the others like really really good ones important ones so if you're not sure how about saying to a patient check out this leaflet read it for yourself decide if that's something that you want to do when you take weight loss out of the equation honestly it's one small thing just stop weighing patients and talking to them about weight loss you will change their lives so it's that easy Oh, everybody, everybody needs to listen to this podcast twice um, <laughs> because this information just needs to sit there. And so I just, I had like 14 questions. I feel like you answered them already. So I'm not going to go back to them, but I want to end my question bank here with you just nailed that for how to talk to health professionals. But one of the questions in the beginning, we were talking about how difficult it is to define weight stigma. And I think in my own opinion. This is not um, science-based right now. This is my opinion. I think I struggle the most because when somebody asks me in like a friend conversation, um, not client to um, professional, but more just like family or friends, it's because I'm so passionate about it that I can't put the words together to like form my argument properly. Um, So if you were speaking to a group of friends, family, you know, someplace that's not in your office, about ways that people can really understand what it is, how we are harming people? What would be like one or two things that you would say? You know, I um, take take your cue from, um, from like the Black Lives, Lives Matter movement, people talking about critical race theory and people talking about um, race-based discrimination. Take your cues from people who are talking about gender-based discrimination as well. Um, there's an article written by... Um, I think it was back in 2009, Rebecca Paul, which basically says that 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 um, weight-based discrimination is on, is on a par with race-based discrimination and gender-based discrimination. And I actually, um, I spend a lot of time following people who are talking very openly, especially about um, race-based discrimination. And they are talking about, it's a very nuanced conversation. And you, you can't, it's so hard, especially when you're passionate about it, to have that conversation without getting angry. Um, but there are people out there that have been having this discussion about race for a long time and they have a lot of wisdom to impart and I think that's something else that we have to remember is actually that there is a a huge intersection there is a a huge kind of intersection between um, weight-based discrimination race-based discrimination gender-based discrimination ableism you know and um, LGBTQIA rights like these these all intersect with each other Um, so you know, I, I learn how to have this conversation by taking my cue from these incredible people out there that are already so much further ahead of me. And also, you know, that there are some amazing uh, 
people that I've been following for a while now and like a while I say I say that but we all know it's only been a year but I'm learning so much from them like Reagan Chastain is a friend of mine I think I've I feel like I can call her a friend now um if she even if she disagrees like she's my friend <laughs> and and you know I, I learn a lot from her she she has a lot of wisdom to impart so um that's the beauty of social media actually I I avoided it all of my life but actually now what I'm realizing is that I can learn some phrases and I can understand the issue. The more you understand it, the more you talk about it, the better it gets. What we have to understand, I think, you know, there are certain things that are, are going to trigger a lot of people. And, and, you know, I talked about cognitive dissonance, this idea that basically when people say something that is just so extreme and so contrary to everything you've ever learned, you tend to shut down and you tend to just ignore it. So what I say to people when I'm having this conversation is, look, I can tell you, I start it off this way. I say, look, I can tell you right now that you're going to have a problem with what I have to say. You're going to react. You're going to feel angry at me. You're going to, you're going to shut down. You're going to ignore me. You're going to take, I'm talking crap. It's fine. This is completely normal and natural to have this reaction. So let's just take a moment to acknowledge that. And then when we have this discussion, you ask me some questions and I will respond, but just, just have an open mind, you know, don't just switch me off or shut me down. So I think when you start to acknowledge that in people before you even have the conversation, it gets easier. But how to convince, I mean, that's really hard. Like, you know, I mean, as I said, look at the Black Lives Matter movement. Like this, this conversation has been had for, for decades and decades. No one listened. Now, all of a sudden, it's kind of cool and trendy. But it wasn't until a few years ago. My husband, um, my husband told me today a story that he's never told me to get to before. We've been together half our lives, so I should know this by now. A woman wrote to him not too long ago to say, I just want to talk to you. I've been on a Black Lives Matter march and I just want to apologize for an incident that took place when we were 13. So my husband told me about it today, first time. And he was basically sat on a on a on a um Ferris wheel Ferris wheel, you call it Ferris wheel, right? Like it's the same mm -hmm. thing for you guys. Yeah. So he was on a Ferris wheel with um, a girl from his school. He was 13 years old. She's white, he's black. In the, she was he was on the Ferris wheel and all of a sudden the dad of this girl comes along and starts shouting from the bottom of the ground get you know calling him the n-word get off that you get out of there don't be sitting next to that n-word there's n-word that they so it was so bad that they stopped the Ferris wheel for like five minutes so my husband he's 13 years old he's sat in the Ferris wheel and he's um, like just sat there with this girl and then he has to wait to come all the way down and the guy like cussed him out and like was really awful to him and then nobody did anything about it everyone just kind of was just like really shocked and then carried on with their day and he was telling me this story and and he kind of said it in a very matter-of-fact way I was just like can we take a moment to just talk about all of the trauma that took place in that moment and then it it struck me that it was really recently like this wasn't 100 years ago or 200 years ago this was really recently and so you know when I when I heard that story I was just like oh my gosh I don't know what that feels like and he said yeah you do like of course you do remember that time when that person like you know called you all those names and did this and did that and I suddenly thought yeah no I do know what that feels like so lived experience the reason I'm saying all of this is to say that actually people find it a lot harder to argue with lived experience you know this kind of discrimination that is taking place you know the fact that fat people are always the butt of the jokes the fact that fat people you know never get 
a love story on TV or, you know, that, that you know, that, that we're still allowed to laugh at them and that people still dress up in fat suits and in, on TV and like, you know, you, blackface is wrong. We've accepted that blackface is wrong, but putting a fat suit on is still acceptable. It, you know, these kind of things. I think that they are, you know, <laughs> they, they are really important and really fundamental to understanding all of the other nuanced stuff, you know, talking to people about, you know, whether or not obesity really is a risk factor for diabetes and how can you prove otherwise, like that's quite a specialist conversation to have. But talking to people about the fact that it's still okay to don a fat suit in 2021, um, and that recently an actress was shown doing that, rather than casting a fat actress, they cast a thin actress and stuck her in a fat suit. If we did that, and we placed a white man and put him in blackface in a movie now, we would be outraged. But 20, 30 years ago, we were doing it all the time and it was absolutely fine. So I think it's really important to, to have these kind of conversations first. If nothing else, have that conversation. People are being discriminated against every day. And surely you can agree, if nothing else, you can agree that that's wrong. And from there, you can then talk about how that kind of discrimination leads to people being you know, excluded, oppressed, you know, marginalized, everything that's happening to the black community is also happening to the fat community, because guess what, a lot of the black community is also a part of the fat community. Um, and, um, and so, you know, if you understand a little bit about what's going on with, you know, racism or sexism, then you have some understanding of also what is happening to people in larger bodies. And it's a really important conversation to have because it intersects. You can't have one without the other. Um, you can't discuss fat phobia without discussing racism because the one is rooted in the other. So, wow, this got really um, philosophical, didn't it? But this is a very important conversation to have. Yes. If, any, if anything, have this conversation with your families because that will kind of open people's minds up to other stuff. It, it kind of breaks down the cognitive dissonance. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for it everything that you shared, but especially that last piece, because I do think that it's sometimes harder to have those conversations with family members that have their own opinions that you just don't talk to them about these things because of whatever reason, but, and because they hear it from their own doctors and their own life experience and so on and so forth, but it's just so, so important. So thank you. I, I hope that you call us best friends at the end of this episode too, because I just like need you in my life forever now. Um, I'm definitely flying to the UK for all of my future doctor's visits. I just need to find a jet somewhere that can take me there. But it's the opposite fine. way around. I'm coming to the States. Like, that like forget, you can't come here. I, I told you we don't even have aircon right now. Like you need, you need to just bring me over to a place where there is air conditioning. Um, no, and the other thing I want to say to you quickly, and this is really important, and this is coming from a doctor. Doctors don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Heart. <laughs> no, actually, heart is like that's actually an underestimation. We are not the <laughs> these amazing people <laughs> that we make out that we are. This position of authority that you've given us, we appreciate it. It's gratefully received, but actually it's got to stop. It's got to end. I am, um, you know, you asked me at the beginning of this podcast, like what to call me. I refuse to allow people to call me Dr. Lamy in, unless, you know, in certain circumstances, because I don't want there to be this kind of position where I am somehow elevated. My opinion somehow counts more than everyone else's because it doesn't. 
I am just as informed or misinformed as everybody else. I have just as much bias and prejudice as everybody else. I get things wrong just as often as everybody else. Yeah, there are slightly worse consequences when I get it wrong, but you know, I am not special. And I also don't know what I'm talking about a lot of the time. So don't assume that your doctor knows what they're saying is, you know, is right. Don't assume we're right. Don't assume just because the doctor said it, that it must be right. Bullshit. If it goes against what the evidence is saying, then the doctor was wrong. And it's perfectly okay for you to turn around and say the doctor is wrong and I am right. It's not me, it's them. And um, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to stand up to your doctor, to challenge them, to look them in the eye and realize that it's just two people. You're on a level playing field. It may not feel that way. I know it doesn't feel comfortable, but it's okay to do that because there's nothing special about us. I went to university just like everybody else went to university. I just happened to go to medical school. It's not that impressive. Thank you so much for saying that. And I feel like that, Jen, I'm sure you connect to that as well. Like when we trans, like, transferred over let's say to the intuitive eating help at every size space we come from this paradigm where our patient our client is the expert of their own body and we're just here to support them and help yes. them in any way possible right. and dietitians are absolutely trained in the same like authoritative nutrition expert bullshit kind of mentality and mm -hmm. once you drop that and just become a human alongside another human yeah. that makes for fair unbiased medical care absolutely so, Thank you for saying that. And just thank you for every, I, I we, we're just going to keep saying thank you. I know. I feel like I, I, <laughs> amazing, amazing interview that so many people need to hear. I cannot wait to get this in the ears of so many. So Natasha, for everybody listening, who is now in love with you and wants to find you, where is the best place that they should go to find you? Um, so my, my website is www.fatdoctor.co.uk and um, as I said you can trace all of my story through my blog posts and you can get to know me I'm very open and honest I'm an open book um, I have separated my blog posts now into the ones that I wrote pre like diet and you know diet culture informed Natasha and post diet culture informed Natasha because um you know some of them are very triggering I think if you read some of my earlier posts I think the first post I ever wrote was that I was gonna I think I said how much weight I was going to lose or something. I can't remember what it was now. I need to find it really. Um, so yes, come to my website and find out about me and engage with me. Um, I'm on social media. I even made it onto TikTok in the last few days. Just yes. Push it, push I can't wait to find giggles. you. <laughs> um, I basically go to, I'm not going to do any of these fancy videos, guys. Like, this it's is not me. It's going to make you crazy. You have to. Oh, it's going to make me crazy. <laughs> it is going to make me crazy. I can see it already. It's going to make me crazy. But I am literally just posting like 15 seconds or 20 second videos on there about like little facts about diet culture and weight stigma but predominantly on i'm on instagram i've also got a facebook group if you want to connect it's like a closed facebook group um if you want to connect with other people who um are experiencing weight stigma it doesn't matter where you live in the world we've got people from all over the world and actually it's a wonderful group because i'm there in the background but there are some amazing people in this group that have kind of taken over and are lifting up other people. And it's just the most supportive, kind, you know, uh, just incredible group. I'm so proud of this community that we've created. So that's um, on Facebook, it's Friends of the Fat Doctor. Um, and you can reach me through my website or whatever, or, or, or through my Instagram. So come find me on social media. I, didn't, I generally still, I didn't think I'd be able to keep it up, but I have actually responded to pretty much every dm i've ever received um which is which has been hard but i really wanted to feel like people that that wanted to talk to me could connect with me and so so far i've managed to do that um 
so yeah come find me on social media but come through my website because there's lots of stuff on my website and i also i'm not trying to plug this but um i want to tell people that it exists because i think it's important and i want it to be available to everybody i have done a webinar now my first one where i basically talked about how to advocate for yourself in a doctor's office and uh, it's a it's a one and a half hour like it's a one hour presentation half an hour q a it's available to watch at any time like it's at, at, at you know a low cost i'm not trying to like make a huge profit out of this and uh if you can't afford to pay don't worry let me know like i have a pay what you can option as well and i also have like a booklet that people can read through that has like lots of links to important studies um including that study that i mentioned i also have a template letter to send to your doctor um so if you want to tell your doctor that you want to be treated in a weight inclusive way you have every right to demand that not to ask for it to demand it and i've done like a little letter that you can just copy and paste and send to your own doctor i've also done like a, compl a complaint letter a template complaint letter so that if you've had a bad experience and you want to write a complaint but like it's just so overwhelming just copy and paste and send to your doctor just put in a few bits um so all of that's out there and you can get to that through my website as well so i just encourage you if you're struggling with this you know you're you know it's a resource that i wanted to make available because people keep asking me the question and i wanted to just be like here it is here's the answer i'm going to be doing a lot more for specific conditions so i've got one planned for pcos i've got one planned for knee pain i've got one planned for fertility because i think it's really important to address these issues in the specific communities um doing one for lipedema and that's all going to happen and you can see all of that through my website as well once again <laughs> thank you <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod we promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics greatest guests and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit we love you we appreciate you and we will see you next week for a lot more fun <laughs>